This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joytha Gupta, and this is The Pulse. I was told that workplaces benefited when they hire persons with disabilities. Hiring qualified people with disabilities was neither charity nor a last resort. I'm committed to employment equity for the disability community, but I remained worried about my own job performance. Moreover, I knew that employment rates for people with disabilities remain stubbornly low. Then COVID-19 happened. Suddenly everyone was working remotely. Overnight, disability accommodations became mainstream. I wondered if maybe there's a lesson in there, both for people with disabilities and companies who would hire them. Today we discuss employment equity for people with disabilities during and after COVID-19. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Joitha Gupta, I'm the host of the program, and we are all working from home to bring you the show today as we practice social distancing here in Canada on account of COVID-19. For information about COVID-19 from all of our daily live programs, please visit our AMI webpage dedicated to the subject, that's ami.ca forward slash COVID-19. We often return to the topic of employment and workplace accessibility for people with disabilities. As you know, I'm visually impaired myself. I've lived with my disability all my life, and it's a topic that I care deeply about. And so does my guest today. My guest today is Liz Johnson. Liz is the managing director and co-founder of The Ability People, a United Kingdom-based recruitment and consultancy firm that specializes in empowering people with disabilities. I just know I'm going to like to talk to Liz, and here she is. Welcome to The Pulse. Hi, thanks for having me. Liz, tell us a little more about The Ability People. So The Ability People is an organization, as you said, that primarily focuses on consulting around authentic inclusion to enable more people with disabilities and any other barriers to conventional working environments to access uh, work and placements. And we are staffed entirely by people with who have disabilities or illnesses. So everybody within our team has a disability or an illness that prevents them working optimally in a conventional working environment. And everybody's passionate. Everybody's got their individual story, but ultimately they're all passionate about the change and enabling change to give everybody that opportunity to to succeed in an area that they, they are able to and they have the skill set to, not just making choices because they're the only options available to them. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. But the term that you mentioned, authentic inclusion, let's just talk about that for a moment. As it happens, I had a guest on the program, um, I'd say about a year ago, who also used the term, Francis West used the term authentic inclusion to talk about the need to build inclusivity into all facets of a company. When you use the term authentic inclusion, what are you talking about, Liz? When we talk about authentic inclusion, we're talking about designing processes from the offset or designing facilities from the offset so that we can move away from this idea of having to make reasonable adjustments and just focusing on the fact that actually everybody's normal is different, even down to the color of our hair, right? We don't all, we're not all born with the same color of hair. So 
if you when we talk about authentic inclusion if you can remove as many unnecessary barriers to anything as possible then actually people can access it and enjoy it and utilize facilities or products or processes as they were designed not with the need of being an afterthought or sometimes even um, deemed to be an inconvenience or a special case with um, alternative arrangements being made if you go for authentic inclusion then everybody just has the ability to be themselves Let's bring it back to employment. Now, we know that a lot of employers are, at least in theory, willing to hire people with disabilities. They're often required to do so by law, uh, whatever the case may be. But employers really struggle with both recruiting talent uh, with disabilities and then accommodating them in the workplace. They can find that process very overwhelming. Is your focus on authentic inclusion going to address some of their concerns or even get employers to think about this whole thing differently? Yeah, so our approach to authentic inclusion and recruitment and hiring and and being within the workplace covers all aspects. Because, again, you said so often there's an incentive or an initiative to employ more people with disabilities or employ other de- uh, minority demographics. Maybe it's driven by a quota or maybe it's driven to get that balance and that people believe that's the right thing to do. But the reality is there's a very big difference between diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And you can be diverse and have a diverse workforce without being inclusive. So it's not about giving people a seat at the table or, or the, the desk or, or whatever environment you're in, but it's about enabling them to utilize that effectively. So yeah, we mm-hmm. we look at every aspect. So we've helped organizations right from the start where they've looked at their attraction process because all the other thing to remember is good news travels fa- travels fast and so does bad news. So if people have had a negative experience, then that that circulates and that is populated through their through their demographic and through their community. So then other people like them in inverted commas would be discouraged from being attracted to maybe certain organizations. Mm-hmm. And conversely, if you have a positive experience, uh, more people would be willing to work there. And it, it also creates these good news stories to hire more people with disabilities. Elsewhere, you've noticed, uh, noted, Liz, that the recruitment process is, is broken or the recruitment model is broken. What did you mean by that? So, so often with recruitment processes, like as you said, people have it as an incentive or an initiative to attract more diverse talent pools. And so the applications come in, but then there'll be very strict ways about how those assessments happen. And again, we've all got individual needs. And so so often you're trying to focus on fitting a square peg in a round hole. So it's about, again, normalizing the differences within those processes. And when we go back to that authentic inclusion, looking at exactly what that process is trying to assess, what capabilities, what skill set an individual who's applying for a role, what giving them the best chance to show you what they're capable of so that they are not being filtered out because of their capability if they are getting, if, sorry, if they're getting filtered out because of their capability and, they, and they, they're not suitable for the role, that's fine. But if they're getting mm-hmm. filtered out because they weren't able to show you how capable they were because of the restrictions of the process, then that really is a problem. Mm-hmm. The voice that you're listening to is Liz Johnson, the managing director and co-founder for The Ability People, which is a 
UK-based for-profit social enterprise that looks at empowering people with disabilities. Liz, one of the things that I've often heard from advocates who push this issue of employment for people with disabilities is that it's obviously good for people with disabilities to work, but it's also an advantage for employers. And I'm sure you've noticed this in your work. I would love to hear a few examples of instances or instances where companies have benefited from recruiting and hiring people with disabilities. Well, I think, firstly, you make a very good point. And people with disabilities, they think about things very differently. They see things in a very different light because they're used to living in a world that wasn't designed for them. So they have that adaptability and they have that resilience. But also there's a, there's a drive to succeed and prove that they are capable and so it strengthens a team. And so often we talk about how difference can actually be an advantage, because if you fill your team with people who all think the same or act the same or have the same skill sets, then whenever you hit a, an obstacle, it becomes it's an obstacle for the entire team. Whereas if you have people who come at things from different angles with different perspectives, then actually they can be the problem solvers at difficult times. And one example is exactly that. So we were helping a large company uh, to recruit new talent, but they were a very um, locally dem- like locally centralized um, organization. And they basically decided they exhausted the talent pool with any accessibility to their head office. But we had um, a consultant working on the project who has neurodiverse conditions. And so he set up completely different parameters and came at the search from a completely different way. So he worked out basically that Mm -hmm. if it was, if you lived further than 3.5 miles away from the head office, or um, it took you longer than 32 minutes and 24 seconds to commute, then it wouldn't be a job that you would see as worth your while. So it Mm -hmm. changed the lens that he looked through when he was searching for talent. And actually, he ended up finding um, an individual to place that was 69 years old. But again, the parameters for that role in the past had been age, a lower age. So they were finding new talent because they weren't looking at it through the normal lens that that everybody else was using. They they changed what they were using to to guide them in their search and actually ended up placing and finding new talent in in what was deemed to be an exhausted pool. That's a really interesting story. One of the things I want to ask you before we go to to a break here, Liz, is this idea of uh, career advancement and development. I think sometimes when we look at this issue of employment for people with disabilities, there's so much concern with getting people uh, in the door or sitting at the desk, but maybe we, dare I say it, neglect the other piece, which is that once you're there, you might want to see your career grow and evolve, and you might want to see advancement, get a promotion. How do people with disabilities tend to fare when it comes to career advancement? Well, I think you, you touch on a really good point. And so often there is emphasis put on somebody else making the decision for that person with a disability about what they are capable of doing and what they are looking to get out of a role. And so often we see that somebody with a disability either gets placed in a job that they are way too skilled and qualified to do, or we know a group of people with disabilities who are very educated, very advanced individuals, and they occupy those top jobs because then they have 
more freedom to make decisions and create environments where they can succeed. And I think that's the issue is we need to move away from looking at somebody with a disability with the with their disability be de- being the determining factor of how we treat that individual and actually realizing that people with disabilities, as, as you say about yourself, we've lived with them for a very long time. Even if you weren't born with your disability, when you acquire it, it, it becomes your reality. So you don't wake up in the morning suddenly having a disability that you didn't have the night before and look to go straight into work. When, by the time you're searching for a role, You've, you've got used to the conditions that you are living with and operating in. And so we are empowered to do that. So we need what we need to do when people are looking to advance is trust that if they are searching out those opportunities, it be, it's because they are capable of doing them and they believe in themselves. And actually, again, anybody in any minority demographic, they tend not to put themselves forward for something unless they're 120% sure they can do it because they don't want to run the risk of someone telling them, I told you, you wouldn't be able to do that. Liz, this is a really great place to take a break. But when we come back, I want to talk to you about COVID-19 and whether the working from home reality means that there might be greater employment opportunities for people with disabilities in future. This is The Pulse on AMI-audio. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Hello and welcome back to The Pulse on AMI-audio. In the first half of today's interview, we talked about employment equity for persons with disabilities. My guest today is Liz Johnson, who is the managing director and co-founder of The Ability People, a United Kingdom-based recruitment and consultancy firm that specializes in with disabilities. Now, Liz, uh, one of the things that we talked about is or started to talk about was COVID-19. And it's really changed how we all live our lives. And so much has changed on a day to day basis, especially how we work. So many of us are working remotely. Do you think there's an opportunity there for people with disabilities to not only be able to work more effectively in existing positions, but also to find new employment opportunities and avenues? Yeah, this is absolutely going to create an opportunity for those who've been um, advocating for working from home or more remote working, more flexible hours in the past, because now hopefully more and more people have seen that it is possible. Um, And hopefully, I hope that what this has led to is a more empathetic um, workforce. So realizing that actually whilst it might not be everybody's preference and that is something I think that we do need to be aware of is many people have adapted to working from home very well very quickly um many people will be doing it but absolutely hating it and can't wait to get back into the office and I think what this will do for people who need to work from home is show just how easily it can be done because as soon as it was the benefit to the majority then these adjustments and these setups for people to work from home happened in a matter of days. Whereas in the past, when it's been an additional request in terms of a reasonable adjustment, sometimes it's taken months. Mm -hmm. And so, Liz, you know, one of the things that you and others have noted is that this work from home provision feels rather bittersweet because, as you said, so many people have asked for it and lobbied for it for years now as a workplace accommodation and employers have been reluctant to grant that accommodation and now it's become part of the mainstream. So is that something that you think about, the the bittersweet nature of this? 
Yes, I think there is an element of frustration for just how quickly it was able to happen. But we see that a lot. But I think rather than waste energies on um, the negatives and the frustrations, we should just look at this as a real opportunity now to move forward. And at such a difficult time for so many globally, it's Mm -hmm. comforting to know that it still can serve its purpose in moving everybody forward in a productive manner. Let me ask you a follow-up on that because you are the co-founder of the, the abilities people, the, the ability people, and I, one of the things that that leads me to, to ask you about is whether these provisions around working from home, the the increased acceptance of remote working, whether this will allow more people with disabilities to be self-employed and not just work for someone, but do the things that they want to do that they're passionate about. Well, I actually think what happens a lot with people with disabilities is they do become self-employed to start with because it's the only way that they're able to operate in in an environment that is optimum for their production and performance and overall balance of life. So actually, it might even be the reciprocal of your question. And actually now mm. people have the opportunity to work with others and it doesn't all have to be self-driven and self-motivated because now there is that level of understanding and acceptance that just because you are working from home, it doesn't mean you're going to be less effective or less productive. Right. And I mean, one of the things that you do uh, is you recruit and you help with recruitment services and you help with uh, helping employers change their workplace cultures. Is COVID-19, I don't want to call it an opportunity, but is it a moment where you start to have those conversations with employers and get them to see the potential of people with disabilities? I think it is absolutely. I understand what you say when you say you don't want to say it's an opportunity, but I think it's a significant time where what it will do is give people relatable feelings and emotions and experiences that we can then use in a in an in an explorative way. So that when you are trying to explain to someone how um, the actions of a person affect somebody with a disability, because often people will. Um, say things or do things and they never come from a place of um, harm or hurt or malice everything is always done with the best intention but as a person with a disability sometimes you can view it as they're pitying you or they're not treating you on a level playing field and so I think what will happen with this COVID-19 situation that we find ourselves in is people will have a lot more relatable experiences to be able to discuss emotions and mm-hmm. how they felt and how they reacted and the challenges that they had. And, and they can relate those so that people have a more, a better understanding, I guess, of the everyday battles that people with disabilities have. And that's not to say battles in a negative way because they're trying to overcome something, but just because as we've touched upon in the first half of the show, is that we live in a world that is set up for a, a, a certain type of person and anybody mm-hmm. who does not fit that, that social norm is, is beating down those barriers or having to, to find ways to work around things. So I think mm-hmm. what will happen now is people will understand the amount of energy that goes into being different and trying to fit into a certain type of situation or environment. Does that make sense? 
That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, one of the things that we hear, and I've heard this uh, because I've been working for about 10 years now, as a person with a disability, one of the things that I often get told is, I can't imagine what you've had to overcome, or it must be so challenging for you. Do you think that when we talk about empathy, we're going to move away from that discourse where we feel that people with disabilities who do normal things, like hold on a job, are doing something extraordinary? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the biggest points we try to make at the ability people when you when when people who are live in that able-bodied world meet people with disabilities they use the words inspiring or they're shocked to hear and find out that people have done like you said everyday things but the reality is the majority of any population are just normal people joe blogs going about their day wanting to have the opportunity to work to enable the rest of their lives. They don't, they don't want the fact that they've got a job to be the big achievement. And I think that's what we'll hopefully get to when we talk about empathy, is appreciating that actually everybody's normal is different. And I can drive a car, even though I only have half a body that functions properly, the same as somebody with four limbs. Like, we can get from A to B in a car. We don't drive it the same way and my car is adapted, but ultimately I can get from A to B just like somebody else who holds a driving license. The voice that you're listening to, the passionate voice that you're listening to is Liz Johnson, Managing Director and Co-Founder of The Ability People. So let me put you my, put to you my the question that I like to ask all anyone who's ever been on the program who talks about employment. So um, a couple of years ago, I took a management class, a business class, and they showed us a poster in the strategic planning class. And the caption on the poster said, culture eats strategy for lunch. So if you had an employer who had the best intentions in the world and they had an employment strategy, an equal opportunity employment strategy, what needs to change in the culture of that workplace to realize the strategy in full? Well, I think... You have to be embedded. You have to be embedded, and everybody has to be going for the same goal. And they might have different ways of getting there, but ultimately, you can't teach loyalty. You can't teach resilience. You can encourage it, and you can give people the opportunity to show it and bring out the best of themselves. But there's certain elements of individuals that they've either got it or they haven't. And so, you can't change your culture to fit every type of person. But what you want to do is create a culture where people are, are wanting to work towards that strategy and appreciate that when you say creating a culture, that doesn't mean that everybody has to look the same, believe the same, um, come from the same place, have the same physical or intellectual and cognitive capabilities, but they all have to be driven towards the same goal and obviously then invest in that strategy. So so in terms of COVID-19, we know that a lot of people with disabilities are facing challenges right now in doing day-to-day -day things that the general public or the able-bodied public doesn't face. So when we think about the workplace and when we think about employment, what does work-life balance look like for a person with a disability? I think this is the key question and this is often the pro the the point where there's so many, uh, so much discontentment, because actually work-life balance is very different for an individual with disability. Because as you said, everyday tasks take more energy or take more time 
or have to be thought outside because they don't fit in to a standardized process just take for example as you say visually impaired people it's they can't just jump in a car and drive 10 minutes down the road even even that journey if they can't if it's not walkable sometimes public transport can take three times as long as a car journey right but also if you've got a physical disability maybe a spinal cord injury just your morning routine can take about an hour and a half to get out of the house so Working from home and the COVID-19 experience for or everybody else that's now working from home that's normalized the fact that we can use a lot more video calls and we don't have to be sat at a desk in the office means that they can actually put more energies and time into doing the, their job and their role rather than having to use up so much energy to get ready and to get to the office in the morning, which then obviously also means that they're not using up all their energy at work or to get to work with their main function being work so they can have a bit of a social life and they can they can have what they're entitled to as human beings and i think that's the point is actually when we talk about work-life balance we want to look at the holistic approach and ultimately as long as somebody once they've committed to a role is delivering on time scales and goals that they have been set and they've their role entails, then actually how they do it or where they do it from should not be the the bone of contention that everybody focuses all their attentions on. Liz, thank you very much. That was a wonderful conversation. And I so appreciate that you joined us on The Pulse today. Thank you for having me. That was Liz Johnson. Liz is the managing director and co-founder of The Ability People, a United Kingdom-based recruitment and consultancy firm that specializes in empowering people with disabilities. If you missed out on any of my conversation with Liz or would like to check out previous episodes of The Pulse, you can find our podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. I want to say that this is an opportunity for workplaces to evaluate how they work, to look at systems and processes and cultures, and ask how we can make those things work for people of all abilities. It's a way to really value what individuals, regardless of abilities, can bring to a workplace. But I also think Liz's point about work-life balance, it's a way for people with disabilities to think about what work-life balance truly means to them, to recognize that there are some additional barriers, and work with their employers and their colleagues and others in their lives to address that work-life balance so that they can have a social life and do other things that all human beings are entitled to. I hope you'll head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse for more from me. It was a great interview and I'd like to thank Liz Johnson for being my guest today. The Pulse is produced by Andrika Delanerol. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is our manager of AMI-audio with special thanks to Paula Deneen, supervisor of AMI-audio productions. Thanks a lot for listening to the program. You can find us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. Write us an email. Email us at feedback at ami.ca. Or you can give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. And let us know if we can play the audio on the program. Everyone, stay safe, be well, and we'll talk to you again very soon. This was an AMI podcast. 
For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.